Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Nicole McGill-Higgins. She is an accredited leadership coach, a consultant, an international best-selling author, a global keynote speaker, an award-winning mentor, and a race campaigner. Also, the founder of Be Longing. Nicole, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. I am so honored and excited to have you here and jump in and discuss all of the things, Nicole. <laughs> thank you, Brad. Thank you for inviting me. How is your day going? How are you feeling? How's everything? I'm okay. I'm going with the energy of the universe today. I'm a universe baby. <laughs> so, ah, I love so I'm it. going I love with it. the flow. It. So I've had a couple of coaching clients this morning and yep. they always empower me because I love those awakening moments and those yes. night drop moments. So yeah, so I'm okay today. Beautiful. Well, thank you for being here. So let's jump in. As I mentioned, you are all of those things. You wear all of those hats. That is one hell of an extensive resume. And it would seem that <laughs> All, a lot of these hats you wear are very closely tied in together with one another. So I'm curious, how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization for you? Hugely important. And I don't think I'm particularly great at it. <laughs> <laughs> but the good thing- I, I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> I'm one of those people who gets easily distracted. I'm like, oh, look at this. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, look at that. Shiny um, thing, squirrel, squirrel. Oh, 100%, 100%. That is Nicole. Yeah, that, that's me. But I think when it comes to prioritizing, I mean, I do have a PA who's really good at what she does. But right. apart from that, obviously, you do need to know what you need to do. And that's why I do have the crossovers like what you've mentioned. So because my playground is really belonging and coaching, I just love talking everything belonging because that's around accountability. That's around self-awareness. That's around confronting fears, looking at boundaries, looking at patterns, looking at behaviors. So my research is based around that. And that's what I pull and bring into my business. But in terms of prioritizing, it depends. I think I try not to go past two days at a time, yeah. although I know what's happening three weeks ahead, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So Absolutely. I know what's happening and I just say, right, I need to take it in chunks. So I yeah. try and do small pieces. I'm getting better. So I've got days where I just do all my contenty type stuff and I've got days where I do all my researchy stuff. But as you know, things will just come in and you've got to deal with it straight away. But I do try to stay on track and keep my boundaries up. Beautiful. Now, wearing all these hats, being a multi-passionate, being a serial entrepreneur, I would love to know what your morning routine looks like. Oh my God, really? (laughs) (laughs) My morning, do you know something? I don't know anyone else who's listening, but my Einstein moments tend to happen around 11 p.m. to around 3 to 4 a.m. Ah, you're like me. You're like me. Yeah, that's because in the day you're dealing with clients, you're dealing with all the other kind of clusters of stuff. But then I like that quiet and I really get a lot done between like 11 p.m., 4 a.m., even though I may have a morning meeting, but I tend not to have meetings until at least 11.30. So it does give me that time to either do my yoga or go to the gym or try and have breakfast or what have you. Um, But yeah, so my Einstein, my creative juices really get going at that time. So I now have at the bottom of my email signature that I may respond outside of your working hours. And because I do travel quite a bit, my time zones are a little bit messed up anyway. So I do warn people to say, you don't have to respond just because I've emailed you, but just be aware that I may email you outside of your own office hours. So 
So yeah, I love that. It's it's great to find like minded because that's when I get my best work done too. Like this morning, I was up till one thirty a.m. and working and getting some stuff done, and then back up again at six a.m. this morning. So that's when I get my best work done as well. I'm a night owl, so it's nice to find other night owls. (laughs) Right? Because one of because one of my icebreaker questions is like this quick fire that I do, and I'm like morning person, night person, and people will put their hands up, and then you've got people who are both kind of things. Yes. So yeah, but there's one thing that I have learned from my PT. So there's thing, there's something called compound movements. Okay. So it's like you're doing lunges, say with weights. So yep. you're working your arms and your legs, right? So yeah. now what I do, I do my compound work. So I'll be doing my emails and stuff, and I'll be listening to a podcast at the same time. So I'm kind so you're, of but you're habit stacking. I love it. <laughs> right, habit stacking. I like that. So Beautiful. because I try to do that at the same time, and sometimes I may have one of my transcribers kind of taking all the words in because I'm dyslexic as well you see so when it comes to writing notes and stuff I can find that a little bit difficult or time consuming so I get transcribed then I will highlight that and then I'll put it in a place where it's in a folder that I can then go back to and use that content. So Nicole what were you doing before you made the jump into entrepreneurship? Well I've always kind of dabbled. Okay. (laughs) I've always kind of done something I've always had businesses here and there throughout my life me and my husband was kind of like we just we just keep plodding along we keep trying but my last job in terms of paid employment was in an organization quite a reputable organization in the UK and I worked in the social impacts department but I also was volunteering for their staff network right so that's kind of like a group of people that will have passionate and kind of critical friends, as we call them, people that would speak to the organization around particular issues to do with diversity and inclusion. So I was the co-chair for the Race at Work group and really just informing the organization around how to be anti-racist, but also working alongside the wellbeing group, the religious group, LGBTQ. So we were quite collective, but individual in certain parts of what we were doing. And so what inspired your journey then to go into the world of leadership coaching? So I think it's something, I think most coaches will probably say they've always realized that it was probably their calling, but maybe didn't know how to call it. So I'll be completely, completely honest with you. I'm always that person that people speak to. And I was like, I want to be like, meet the fuckers. I want to be a sex therapist. That's what I want (laughs) to do. I honestly, that, that was like, I can do this. And then if anyone's read my chapter or what have you, I mean, we may go into that a bit, bit yes. later, but that's kind of stuff that I've done there. So I wanted to be a therapist, you know, a counsellor. Yeah. But then I also realised that there was a dark side to sometimes if there's blockages in, in, in sex and what have you. And I just wasn't ready for that. I thought, oh, no, I don't really want to do that bit. I wanted to do the other bit. <laughs> so then yeah. in doing mentoring, I've always mentored. Then I won National Mentor of the Year in 2019. But the work that I was doing, the paid work, so not the race stuff in my organisation, I realised I was coaching the mentors and I was helping to mentor the mentees. So I thought, let me look into coaching. And then I thought, I like this because I'm a visionary. I like that big picture. I like kind of taking those steps. I like, as I said, those awakening, empowering moments. And then especially when I started to do the diversity and inclusion part of of my voluntary work in my organization, I realized that there was something around empowerment there also, because really it's human behaviors. It's how our bias show up. It's how our stereotypes show up. It's how our generational beliefs or even our own beliefs, habits, patterns, et cetera, tend to show up. And I thought, no, coaching... I like this. So then I did my first part of my qualification. So I did the certification, then I did the accreditation, and I'm now currently doing the master coaching qualification. So yeah, that's how I kind of got into it. I think it starts with you. Yeah. So yeah. And so what is it then that sets you and the work you do apart from other leadership coaches? Why would they choose to work with you as opposed to someone else? What do you bring to the table? And I think there's something really huge around that, around who do I work with as a coach? Because as we know, it's what the second largest growing industry at the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that in the States, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's also for other countries. Yeah. And I think I'm just going to go off what my clients say, and I agree with <laughs> so much of it they say, <laughs> I don't agree. But there's something about being relatable. There's something yeah. about, I know we talk a lot around authentic self, on the fence with the language on that one, because... It depends on what authentic means to you, right? Right. Uh, there's something around stepping into my own power and also being a case study for the work that I do around belonging and okay. around fear of visibility, around not thinking you're good enough, around 
trying to fit in and you know not feeling like you add value but you're trying to fit so I kind of bring all of that to my coaching and showing my own vulnerabilities even in the training the facilitation and the public speaking that I do because that's how we're building trust so it's not done in an unauthentic way it's done in a way like you have to just be unapologetically you this is how I did that this is how I struggle with that still struggle one may add but if you're going to coach with me I am going to challenge you I'm going to push those boundaries which are going to be talked about beforehand and you will grow love it And so what, in your opinion, is the most important quality or skill set in a leadership coach? To listen. That's a big one. You know, I mean, I've talked to women who have been on the podcast that have told me that they've been on podcasts and they don't even feel like they're being heard. And I just think that's absolutely horrible. As a podcast host, that's your job. That's your gig. You have to listen. (laughs) What are you doing? So... Active listening is is an incredibly important skill set that not a lot of people possess. And I think we all could learn and improve on that skill set for sure. Yeah. And I think the thing around when we say, listen, somebody could say, all right, Nicole, so what do you mean listen? You know, because yeah. again, and, you know, I, I say this quite a bit around um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, you know, listen to understand, not to be understood. And there's a lot of power in playback. And we do that a lot in counseling and in coaching. So right. we're having this conversation now and it's having the, the courage to say, yep. I don't really understand what you just said there or just so I've got that right. Can I just play it back to you? Can I just yes. sure? And that does two things. One, it gives clarity and two, the other person feels heard. Yeah. I love that. That is yes. brilliant. And so, so true. A, right. And you know, it's, we just do, we should do that really in our lives. Cause so many times we walk away and I give this example, you know, when you're at school and the teacher says, so does everybody understand what we're going to do next? And everyone's like, yes, sir. Yes, miss. Yeah. And one child will say, sir, miss, I didn't get that. And then about 10 others normally need <laughs> the second person. <laughs> yes. oh, I don't know what the hell you just said, but can you say it all again? But because of, we have that fear of being excluded. We yes. have that fear of being isolated. We have that fear of being polarized. So so what we do is we try to fit in and yes, I do understand. And we walk away not understanding. So yeah, I, I don't um, want to be the one to raise my hand and say, I don't understand. I'm not going to be the first one. <laughs> and that doesn't change in adulthood either. No, we carry true. that with us. So yeah. there's something around when somebody is speaking, you listen. And if you don't understand it, ask the question. So you said yeah. this, is this what you meant? Or, you know, so that I find that listening is probably the biggest skill, but also having the power to play back and ask. The playback yeah. part was hugely important. Well, as, as a good friend of mine always says, he says, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Exactly. So there you go. Exactly. What is your greatest strength as a leadership coach, Nicole? My greatest strength, I would say, is acceptance. It's what? accepting what's being brought to the table. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. It's acceptance around what's being brought to the table. It's understanding and accepting what you're working with and who you're working with. We ask that classic question of what you'd like to bring to the session today or how would you like this session to end? You know, kind of like the, I would say like, I shouldn't say really basic, but you know, they're kind of well-used kind of tools or, or questions that we may particularly ask. And if you're speaking to people, I mean, I'm in the business and the currency I operate in is human connection. And just because I'm a coach, no one is perfect. We're all perfectly imperfect. So there could be things that come to your feet that could trigger you as a coach. Could bring your own trauma. Could also bring your own, you know, sometimes your client will have it on the tip of their tongue in terms of what to do, because we're here to coach, not tell. So it's around accepting where people are in their journeys and helping them to become unstuck from that without judgment. Meeting them where they're at. Exactly. Meeting them where they're at and also just championing. I love that championing piece in coaching. And I love that question. So did you tell yourself that or did someone tell you that? (laughs) Nine times out of 10, I kind of told myself that, okay, so you're not a reliable source. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So I think, as I said, I'm, you know, we're just having a conversation. So I'm just going with the flow. So the first thing that came to my mind was really accepting everyone that comes into my space and just enjoying and loving that energy. What's the process in your mind that best supports leadership development? The process, I think, has to be self-awareness, radical self-honesty. 
We're in a society where we don't know if we can be ourselves and we lose ourselves. Sometimes we don't even know who we are, me included. I'm sitting here with my hands in the air like, me too. Yeah. And I think there's something around, it has to start with your own understanding and where you are for you to be able to then lead. So I talk about belonging. That's my jam. That's what I do. And I talk about leaders in their teams and their organizations and how do you cultivate and foster a culture of belonging. But then what does belonging mean to you as that leader? So there's a level of what is our own bias? You know, what are our own barriers? What do we need to dismantle? What do we need to look at what's no longer serving us? Because I may be a leader in an organization. I don't even feel like I belong, but I'm now being asked to make others feel like they belong. I think there's something around what is your role in the gig that you're in? How are you turning up? How are you showing up? How are you speaking up? What are your visions? So there's that process of self. It it just has to start here. And then you're able to transfer that over. What is one tip or takeaway that listeners can implement immediately to start stepping into and embracing their inner leader and begin owning that? Embracing your inner leader is really, I hate the word weaknesses. You know, this word weakness, I don't like that. I prefer, what's your development? What is your aspirations? First, let's ground, ground yourself. What is it that you want in this? Why are you here? Why are you still in this role as a leader? Are you enjoying it? What development do you think you need? Let's look at the you first, because if you're pulling from an empty cup, then you're not firing all cylinders. Yeah. You need to be able to feel like you're being supported for once. Whoever you're reporting to, are you feeling developed and supported? And then you can then slay in your lane and have that unity and that collaboration and co-creation within your team. My son always says, mommy, if everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot. And I feel as- <laughs> that's brilliant. It's, Your son's it's a, bitter, a very wise boy. It's a very bittersweet saying, Brad, and I'll quickly yeah. tell you why. So he was leaving home and his wife-to-be was pregnant. She literally got pregnant about a few weeks before they were going to get married. So they were moving out and stuff. Yeah. And he came back home and he was like, Mommy, you always used to moan at me and my brother about tidying up the house, washing the dishes, you know, hoovering, <laughs> cleaning up and you know, if everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot. And I felt like saying, no shit, Sherlock. Like, hello. <laughs> I've been telling like, you that. <laughs> I've been telling you that. You've been drilling that into your head for years, kid. Two decades. Two decades. Yeah. <laughs> now you have left my home, left me with everything that you yeah. didn't do. So he, I think I even put that in my chapter, in my yeah. book. So, you know, if everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot. And it's really with leaders. We talk about leadership a lot. And I find that sometimes what we're doing is we're excluding the leaders from what we're trying to accomplish and there's an isolation piece there so we need to you know when we talk about the team that includes everyone including your leader yeah um and then once the leader knows exactly what that vision is knows who they are knows what their own kind of strengths are what their own challenges are who is in their team you know sometimes you do have to go right at the front and lead from the front but then you do all of that work and then you go to the back and you lead from the back and then sometimes you move in solidarity and you maneuver through the middle then you go back to the front it's very fluid and very liquid and you know as leaders we need to see where are the gaps when do i need to step up when do i need to dress back and having that trust yeah trust and allow for sure 100 percent. nicole you say that it's your sole mission to help individuals and leaders deepen their emotional landscapes to challenge current beliefs and truths in order to foster a fresh way of thinking about inclusivity and connection. Why have you decided to make this in particular your sole mission and how do you go about doing this with your clients? So for me, as I mentioned, I was like the co-chair for the Race at Work group. And like in the UK, being very UK-centric here, we have what we call nine protected characteristics. So there's certain areas that are just protected by law and it's the Equality Act. And when I was speaking a lot around race, which I still do, I'm a black woman, you know, my yeah. blackness does not go anywhere. It's kind of there. And so, you know, I don't have to advocate because it's just here. So I do yeah. advocate anyway. But what I found when I started doing this piece of work around staff networks and helping other organizations to develop them, I felt a lot of the time for me personally that I was preaching to the converted or what I would call your swing voters, the kind of curious ones, but not so sure if they wanted to dip in and go that way or not right and I felt that the people who should be in the room wasn't in the room the people who needed that education or needed that knowledge or needed those insights wasn't and that's when I kind of came across belonging because it's around having all the voices in the room so I'm talking purely from a work perspective an organization perspective this is what I go in and do I do strategies around how do we foster that how do we get people to feel like they're welcomed accepted 
valued, acknowledged, like in an organization, and we've got equity across the organization. So that's when I started to really look at the belonging piece. But as I said, I would speak about racism. I would speak about my own journey and my family journey or just people of colour who has, you know, any adverse kind of lived experiences around racism because it's real, right? Yeah. And I just felt that everyone has a voice. But if I've got the common courtesy and decency to listen to your story, regardless how uncomfortable mine may be, please grant me the same respect. Absolutely. And it surrounds being able to have that voice because we've all got PhDs of life, right? Yeah, Everyone for sure. Everyone's experience, it, it counts because yeah. something that may not be as, as stressful to one person might be to another, but that doesn't discount the experience. But when we're looking at obviously systemic and institutional behaviours, which are people are continuing to leverage off and not changing, that's when we have a deeper issue, don't we? So. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And so you call yourself a positive disruptor. I love that term. What does that <laughs> title mean to you? How do you positively disrupt? Like some of the stuff I just said there, because yeah. when I do my public speaking, when I do my facilitation, like I said, I am not here to decode. I talk about people being unapologetically themselves and I'm not having to mask and knowing who they are and to remove some of the societal labels, which are like weights hanging, you know, hanging on to us and weighing us down. Mm-hmm. So I lean into that uncomfortability. And just because I may be standing in front of an audience and training or speaking about certain topics, it doesn't mean it's not difficult for me. It's extremely draining and emotional at times because it's around that vulnerability piece. So you give some of you to your audience and your audience tends to give back. But it goes to what you were saying beforehand. You never want to be the first person. But I'm yeah. in a position where I'm able to do that. And I do that quite a lot. So when I disrupt, there's uncomfortabilities that I am going to say, and I'm not going to shy away from them because, you know, we grow through that. You know, we do grow through discomfort, not yeah. only discomfort, but there's some conversations. And I've got this slide, Brad, with this massive elephant sitting on a bench in the room. <laughs> and I normally put this slide up and I'm like, let's talk about the elephant in the room yeah (laughs) you know and you can see the little shuffles and the heads going down and people kind of shrink and you know it's around having these conversations and I say let's be curious not furious Mm -hmm. you know there's something when anyone who's got children around them or being around children they have this wonderful curiosity why like my grandchildren why grandma why grandma and I make up some real good stories I mean they're all (laughs) lies but they're some good (laughs) stories you know I've got a witch's broom in my house and I tell them that I'd fly around the moon and I've got my other (laughs) friends and we're rolling and they're like wow grandma and I'm like but it only happens when children sleep Ah. So but see, this, we lose right. that curiosity, exactly. that childlike yes. curiosity as we start adulting. And it's horrible. Yes. Yes. We need to get back and realize that because of societal parental conditioning, we're told yes. that stop acting like a child. You can't behave right. that Why the fuck not? Of course exactly. we can. Oh, my God. Exactly. And that's what pisses me off. Because yeah. what happens is we get to some point in life where curiosity has now been turned into being furious. Curiosity has now been turned into fear of getting it wrong. Curiosity uh-huh. is like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Curiosity is now, I don't want to look like I'm stupid. Curiosity is like, I don't want to be the only one. Where kids don't give a shit. They no, they don't. The, they answer questions That's in right. the strangest places in public. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> always, always, always. Say the darndest things, right? Right, they do. So that's what I mean about that disruption. I mean, find that child, find that that curiosity. Why have we lost it? So I guess I'm prepared to say the things that many people are probably thinking. And I was not always that girl. And I'm still learning even more. But that's what I mean around when my clients say, Nicole, you're relatable. Nicole, the vulnerability helps me to to move it. I've had people come out in the middle of my sessions and their teammates are horrified. They didn't even know that they were gay and that they had got married to their husband like yeah. two years prior. Or, you know, somebody saying that, you know, that I've been bulimic and I've been struggling and people always say I'm too skinny, but I'm working on it. Or some people saying like, you know, I've had massive, really opening moments in some of my sessions that have even brought tears to my eyes. And I've yeah. had people come up afterwards and say, Nicole, thank you so much for just being you. I've had people ask me, how are you, you? How are you so authentic? And, you know, that even breaks my heart. But the work that I do, yes, it can be, I shouldn't say draining because I don't want, it's draining to an extent, but it's also fueled with adrenaline. 
at the same time, because like I said, I am here to disrupt in a positive way. Because if you think about some of the arguments or conversations with debates that we've had in life, some of them have been uncomfortable, but they've allowed us to think and really have that self-awareness is what I said beforehand. So that's what I mean by a positive disruptor. I go into my sessions and I really want to disrupt with those powerful coach. This is why I love coaching, Brad. This is why coaching, I think it's one of the best self-care things you can invest in. I genuinely do. Those smiles that you see in people's faces when people try to run away from themselves, but babe, you've got me for an hour. I'm not going anywhere. So we yeah, <laughs> this is a great segue into this next question because it ties in very well. Now, you're a big believer, as you have yes. mentioned, in that if we're radically honest with who we are and yes. where we're from and yes. we become more willing to have dialogue based on curiosity and openness, as we've just talked about, and develop Mm -hmm. a genuine awareness that we are more connected than separated. We are on our way to more inclusive experience of what it is to be human. So I'm going to assume here, of course, we are talking about not only radical honesty, but also radical responsibility and having those difficult, tough conversations. So, and I'm a big believer in that too. We need to, I believe that, conversation those difficult conversations are the catalyst for change this is how we start to change so and it starts at a community grassroots level we start with those conversations within our communities and then it just emanates and flows out to everybody else and the conversations keep going and going and going so how do we in your opinion begin those conversations because you and i both know there are a lot of people out there as we've just discussed that just won't or don't want to have those conversations and then there are people that come into those conversations as we've also mentioned who just don't fucking listen so how (laughs) do we get around like how do we start this because this is what needs to happen in the world this is how we start to change things and that goes back to what we do in coaching is that right you start with the why so there's a part when I, I have what you call a session commitment so it talks about you know leaning to your discomfort you know no questions or wrong question you know yeah. respect to how people talk but right at the bottom I have one that says triggers and I say if something triggers you in my session because it probably will I want you to write down what I said or what you saw yeah write down how it made you feel and write down why it made you feel that way and I say to them now this is your mic drop why have you reacted in that way? Because it's too easy to blame other people, yes. to blame everyone else but ourselves. And that's what I'm talking about. Once we start really, why is it? So, for example, with me, like, I'm really curvaceous. We like to say fluffy in Jamaica. <laughs> so I'm quite fluffy, babe. So I have enough ass for like 10 people. I think it's maybe 11 now. <laughs> Before the pandemic, it was about seven, but it's probably gone up to about 11 people now. So I always look at other women and think, is my ass as big as that? Is it as round as that? Is it as good as that? You know, because whatever is our, we we tend to not like or dislike or is in the forefront of our own conscious. That's what we see. So, yeah. you know, when pregnant women will say, God, since I've got pregnant, everyone seems to be pregnant. And yeah. like, I remember like I had a hormone imbalance. So I was getting like hairs under my chin. I know this is way too much information, but I thought let's talk about okay. the, the uncomfortable stuff too. Yeah, and absolutely. I started to notice if other women had hormone imbalances. So when we realize that we're running from certain conversations or if we're running from certain situations, we have to be honest with ourselves to be able to have that conversation first. Otherwise, we're not going to show up properly. You know, it's like that classic case, you know, we're not going to be listening properly. Are you listening? Are you hearing? And I think in White Men Can't Jump with Wesley Snipes and Woody something. I can't. Woody Harrelson. Right. And they have that whole conversation around Jimi Hendrix, around hearing, but you, you know, and there's some power in that. It's around, are you listening? Are you hearing? How are you turning up and how are you showing up? And how are you in these conversations? Are you having a conversation or are we having our communication? And yeah. it's really important to understand how do I even deal with conflict? Do I avoid? Do I compete? Do I, you know, there's all these yeah. kind of models which are out there in, in, in leadership, which have turned into models. But in layman terms, it's like, do we run? Do we like fuck everything and run or do we face everything and rise? You know, yeah. I always talk about my definition of fear being that. So for me, it's around how are you turning up to these conversations and how are we moving this forward? And if you're, are you being tokenistic and saying, oh, we need to have these conversations, you know, we do need to move them forward. But if you're not fucking in the room, how's it going to happen? Yeah, you're right. It's not, it won't. Right. And you need to be honest with you. 
starts within. It starts within our own radical honesty and showing up for us. And that's where this starts. Then we can start having those conversations. Right. And then all the other things that we've said beforehand around that listening to be, you know, to understand, to be understood, also that playback. It's all around human dialogue. It's all around that human behaviors but also how am I behaving in this space so that's why I do say for the beginning of every session that I do with any of my clients whether it be you know from I'm doing a presentation or even if I'm not if it's public speaking I will say if if I say anything I want you to really do that diagnosis on yourself Hmm. I love it now I want to speak a little bit about belonging you're the founder of belonging can you talk to us a little bit about that what belonging is all about when you founded it yeah so I've been thinking about it for a while, like I said, after kind of looking at diversity and inclusion, because I feel that D&I can be quite divisive to me. I've gone into organisations and they're like, Nicole, you know what, we've got a really good strategy. We're going to do gender this year. Then we're thinking about maybe doing LGBTQ and then race. And then at the end of it, I'll be like, so you've got a nine year D&I plan. (laughs) like what the hell does this mean where belonging really is it's intangible it's around how you feel it's an it's an innate feeling and we talk about self-actualization with maslow's hierarchy of needs belonging is slap bang in the middle and i know that's been upgraded and people have found flaws in it but the bottom bottom line is i want to know anybody out there that doesn't want to feel welcomed that doesn't want to feel respected that doesn't want to feel valued that doesn't want to feel like they matter and that they count because I think we all do. In some that yeah, that person doesn't exist. Absolutely. The, someone who does not want to feel those things. Absolutely. Exactly. So when I started to look at belonging, and I'm still even carving this out now, to be honest, Brad, but I've got to a stage now where I've got two kind of products. One's called the Courage to Be, and one's called the Corporate Beehive. So the Corporate Beehive is what I do now. I go into organizations, and the BEE stands for Belonging, Equity, and Equality. And it's around how do we move your agenda forward and get the psychological safety built into your organization? And how do we get to a point where everybody is doing what they're supposed to do? Everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot. So normally that's like an 18 month kind of roadmap that I do with my clients. Then the courage to be is what I'm kind of launching soon. I've been doing it for a while, but I've actually got it solidified now. And that's really around in the current state of things. What does belonging mean to you, Brad? You know, do you have the courage to be you? Are you coding? And all the things that I've just mentioned around fear, around boundaries, around projections, around values, around beliefs. And that's a whole coaching kind of program with a small cohort to move forward into what does belonging mean to us? So the B encouraged to be stands for belonging, but it also stands for it could be exceptional. It could be efficiency, whatever those two E's mean to you. So the courage to be what? And that's up to you. And you Beautiful. could also say, yes, yeah, so it's around, I procrastinate or courage to say no. No is a complete sentence. It you know, is, don't realize sure. that. Yep. And we always feel like we've got to validate the no afterwards. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like, no, I can't do that. You can just say that because yeah. the postman's coming, the doctors are coming, the kids yeah. are there. No, yeah, we, we always do that. do that. We justify it away. We 100%. always have to justify it. And you 100%. can just say no, period. You That's can. it. And that's where belonging kind of was born from. And that's where it's kind of got to now to where I'm going to just be concentrating on the courage. So I do have one-to-one clients because some people just want that one-to-one coaching, which I'm absolutely happy to do. But I'm going to be launching the cohort around the courage to be, and then it's got five modules. So it's about for five months. And then I've got the corporate beehive that I go into corporate organizations and I do that whole belonging roadmap with them. So then they can kind of fly on their own. So they've got the co-creation piece, but they also have elements of what does it mean to be a leader in this space to encourage belonging in their organization powerful and beautiful i love it nicole i want to talk a little bit about your experience as an international best-selling author how did that feel for you like what kind of weight does that title carry for you and can you tell us a little bit about the book the story yeah oh no (laughs) (laughs) so at first I thought, like, multi-author, but okay, yeah. I can do that. That's fine. But then I thought, no, I can't do that because I'm dyslexic as well. I thought, how the hell am I going to write a book? I can't even bloody spell, for God's sake. Honestly, <laughs> when I need to spell a word, I am finding Google. If Google was a guy or a girl, <laughs> my husband would be in trouble. I'm just letting him know. I tell him all the time that Google is the one 
So, so I'm always like, how do you pronounce this? How do you spell this? Speak to me, speak to me. But so I was asked to do this and I was like, first of all, I thought, God, yeah, being a published author, why not? That's crazy. So I said, yes. Then when I had to start to write my chapter, I thought, shit, what am I going to write about? Like, yeah. who wants to hear from? So that whole imposter syndrome, oh, yeah. that, oh my God, the limiting beliefs, Brad, they were real. And then I started to do the self-sabotage because our book really is around women and their stories because yeah. everyone has a book in them. Everyone has a story. You know this. For You've sure. done yes. some phenomenal shit with Thank the stuff you. that you do around <laughs> authors, right? Thank you. And if, if, if I seen you, I would have come along with you. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been great to have you on board. Honestly, so then what the pull for me was, so we started to do the coaching and, you know, to get us to, to think about what are you going to talk about? What is it that you want the world to know or not to know? And I started to really panic because there was a part of my life that kept coming up that would be in this book. And I just didn't know if I wanted to say it. I started to do the whole shaming thing. So I spoke to my husband and I was like, look, the work that I do now with corporates, with coaching, with belonging is similar to something I used to do in the past, but they're completely opposites. And that something was a phone sex operator. So I was wow. a phone sex operator for like 26 years. I think I, I literally stopped when I won my first award because I was thinking, God, could you imagine the headlines? <laughs> and, so, so, and then, but from becoming a phone sex operator, I also became a trained professional dominatrix. Okay. And then I also had a business where I would go in and teach couples how to bring the sex back into their lives and how to spice up their sex life through BDSM. Right. So through the whole, you know, spanking, you know, all, yeah. the, all the stuff that's kind of Fifty Shades of Grey style, although that's really mild compared to the stuff we would do. But right. that kind, of, just for your listeners to be able to relate to what I used yes. to do. So, yeah. And then you got lots of couples wanted to explore into the whole swinging scene. So I used to like, me and my husband, we used to kind of like let people know the etiquette because there is an etiquette to swinging. And right. then I find that lots of women, because I'm bi, lots of women were bi-curious. So I used to do workshops around being bi-curious. But what I also noticed is that because sex is so taboo, we don't talk about it. And especially around the phone sex, I had people literally ringing me who were married but couldn't tell their partners around their sexual desires and what they wanted wow. it to be. So in my chapter, I talk about this particular guy who just loves the scent of his wife and likes to smell her underwear. So I go into some detail around what our conversations would be every single Sunday. And yeah. he rang me every Sunday for years because he couldn't just tell his wife that he just wanted to smell her underwear. Right. And there's so many other different things that would come up in these conversations. And Brad, I'd be lying to you if I said, honestly, this was probably one of the best jobs I ever had. <laughs> and if I had the time now, I would do it at a drop of a hat. And I had a couple of women that rang over those years. And I want to kind of make it clear as well, because you've got some people be like, oh my God, you're glorifying sex and what have you. We don't talk about the pleasures of sex. And I talk about this in my chapter. We talk about the unpleasantries. And I'm a survivor of sexual assault. So it's like, I know I'm one of those people. I talk yeah. about violence against women and girls as well. So I understand. So there's, I'm not glorifying anything because I've been on both sides of the fence. Right. And the, for me, it was the belonging piece. It was like, these men and the couple of, you know, handful of the women that did ring didn't feel like they belonged when it came to their sexuality and being their selves. I remember having a client for about a year and a half who was going into being a trans female. And she, I'll say she now, but she rang me the first time she went out with full makeup. I used to be on the phone while she was buying the makeup. Because when you're doing phone sex, you can't see the person. But yeah. we'd go to the same websites, we'd talk about makeup, we'd talk, all of that. I literally coached her into being able to put makeup on. And I remember the first time that she went out as a woman to buy a pair of shoes, I was on the phone. So this work, people have an idea around how sleazy it can be. But I did this for 26 years. 26 years I did this as my side hustle. One, to put food on the table for my kids. And two, the conversations I had were absolutely epic. But I realised there was a sense of not feeling welcomed, not feeling accepted, not feeling respected and valued, which is almost a similar work that I do now. And I say to people, okay, I don't tie people up and kind of get whips and canes and stuff <laughs> in, you know, in the corporate world. Although yeah. sometimes some of the things people say, I'm like, you need to bend over, my friend. You need to bend over. <laughs> I do. I, I keep my mistress deep inside of me. But yeah, so, and then when I did, you know, the couple sex stuff and the buy stuff, you know, it, it was just realizing that people are people. 
Yeah. And we hide so much of ourselves, Brad. And I'm not saying anyone should rock up to work and say, guess what I did on the weekends? No. You know, kind of, you know I'm not saying that. <laughs> you know, although some people be like, really? So we can have fun with you. It's so funny that when I do talk about this part of my life, the interest, the glow in people's eyes, regardless of their race, their gender, their religion, it somehow brings people together. Sure, because it's taboo and people want to hear about it, but they don't want to admit it. (laughs) Exactly. I get asked the most amazing questions when I talk about this, but I was even scared about writing about it. But I genuinely saw that collision of my corporate life and also when it came to my dominatrix and my phone sex life, especially because I spoke to so many people over those years who just felt lonely or just felt that this was a their dirty little secret. Yeah. And a lot of it's role play anyway. I'm never called by the right name anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And the politeness of some of these men, I just used to say, oh, that's so sweet. Of course you can, babe. Anything you want. <laughs> I'm that girl. Anything you want, I'm here to do it. I'm on the phone, for God's sake. So my chapter was really around how those two worlds collided and how I've used those skills. But like I said to you, I've had obviously other jobs and stuff. So this was just a chapter, literally a chapter of my life, which liberated me. So in answer to your question around like, how does that title, the title I didn't even expect, the international bestselling. I didn't know that the book would have gone to that. But um. Writing that chapter, it really made me step into being unapologetic. And if you remember, I've spoken about those mic drop moments, those vulnerabilities that I'm showing when I'm training people. So this is why I feel like I'm my own case study around belonging, around radical self-honesty, around awareness, because how can I then be training others if I haven't taken that journey? And I know you've got that saying, do as I say, not as I do. I've never been that person, even when I was a manager. I felt that if my staff can do it, I should be able to do it too. Absolutely. If one of my staff members are sick, I can jump on the phones if I need to. Yeah. And I can do that job. I've always just been that person. And some others are not like that. And there's no comparison. We're not competing here. We're just talking about my own journey. So when I, I wrote the book, I was petrified when it went. To, I was literally shaking, Brad. I was like, oh my God, have I overshared? It's a scary it, moment, for sure. It really is. And then it was released. And then we went to bestselling. And then we went to bestselling in five countries. And then even today, I had a client say, oh, Nicole, I'm expecting your book over the weekend. And I'm like, well, that's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations, Nicole. Thank you. So, yeah. So, sorry if I spoke a bit fast. No, no, that's okay. No problem. When I get really nervous and I think about how much <laughs> I wrote about being a dominatrix and a phone sex operator, are you for fucking real? <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on your courage and your bravery as well. Thank you. I think it's beautiful. Thank Nicole, you. what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think, you know, it's really weird that you asked me that question. And the first thing that came to my mind was the fear factor. Because I've been so scared. I mean, I'm innately and naturally really shy. Nobody believes that. And it really pisses me off. Because if I'm telling you something, just believe me. I'm not saying it for frigging entertainment value. Yeah. Um, You know, my siblings will tell you that when I was younger, I was sickly shy. I couldn't make eye contact, anything like that. So fear really had me in a headlock. And funny enough, again, I talk about this in my chapter. I talk about finding my passion and my purpose through battling my fear. But I've now befriended fear. I look at fear as my protector, as that amber light that will say, proceed with caution. And I listen to fear. I haven't banished it. And it just reminds me of the Disney cartoon, Inside Out. Yeah. And I'm a massive Disney fan. And, it, you know, where they're trying to banish sadness and they realize how much you need sadness to have happiness. That's right. And so I think I felt like fear was really, was my crippler. And it's still there. Don't get me wrong. I'm, it's still a relationship that I have. But I, as I said, I think... That's my superpower in a weird kind of way because fear allows me to be cautious, to be protected and to proceed. So that's what it is for me. So that's why I say the fuck everything and run or face everything and rise. And I talk to fear. I'm like, you know what? Let's fuck it. We're running. I'm not doing this today. (laughs) And then there's other days I'm like, I am the Amazon warrior. We are doing this today. (laughs) Beautiful. And so how do you define success? What does that word mean to you? Oh, God, do you know something? I was talking about this the other day, and it's so weird because my aunt-in-law, who's a psychotherapist, she was like, if you could give your children anything, what would you give them? And, you know, you start thinking about all these mature stuff, and then I said, no, I'd give them resilience. So it's weird. Working with people and working in the space of belonging, which is around feeling, success to me, really, I love what I do, Brad. Genuinely, I'm petrified every time I go on stage or in front of an audience. 
So I think success to me is that reciprocation of what I do for my clients, what my clients do for me. I can't really describe it. Yeah. Because if I'm becoming a better version of myself every single day, even if it's a little bit, some way, somehow, and I'm also doing the same for others, that feels like success to me. That feels like, because that's where this world is at the moment. It's such a dark, heavy, unhappy place. It is. And if people are finding themselves to have that courage to be, and that's where this was born from, you know, having the courage to be them. Because, you know, I always say, like, if you look at social media, we don't have, mm, not so much on it. It's like or love and all of that stuff. Yeah. If you look at, at Twitter, they didn't say leaders. They said followers. Yeah. You know, there's, there's this indoctrination of this media transfer. And then we have to suck it up because it's all around us. So if I can somehow give a little of me and I can take a little of someone else, and that's kind of like that moonshine or that sunshine or that kind of like just to make me feel uplifted, that's success to me, you know. And being able to cast that message. Love it. That is a beautiful definition. I love that, that you said you look at Twitter and it says followers, not leaders. It's so right. true. I've never thought about it that way. And it thank took you me a long time to click follow. I was yeah, like, I'm not following you. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the warrior queen at that point. You know, but it's true. And all of these things are messages, right? It yeah. doesn't say leaders. It says followers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, yeah. Nicole, what is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Wow, you are on fire today. What is this? <laughs> Maybe I should have done some preparation. What the hell? <laughs> I can see you. It's, it's just a roll. <laughs> <laughs> I would say self-acceptance. I know I've used acceptance already here, but... There's so much about me that I just thought wasn't worthy, that I didn't belong, that I, I'm i just so not perfect. And I know nobody is, and we say that, but we want, we aspire to be, even though we know it doesn't exist. Yeah. And for example, and this probably sounds really, really like, like glamorous, but it's not. So I have a photographer and he comes most places with me now since I've started my business. And even that was a massive step. I always say to him that he has helped me so much because most of the time we don't like taking pictures. Most people are like, no, no, don't take a picture. But I have to look at the camera. He will tell me how to move. And it's so intimidating. But just having that person with me when I go out and taking those pictures, I feel like I'm in my power. Writing the book as well, that made me step into that liberation piece because I gave a really private part of myself because I know there's others, there's so many men that do ring sex lines and women that do ring sex lines or their sex life isn't a certain way and we don't talk about it. So that self-acceptance of, Nicole, you are who you are and you're good enough in being that person. So beforehand, I think I was more hiding. Even like I said to you, I mean, I'm a curvy girl. I've got tits and ass for days. Do you know what I mean? So even that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not your traditional, like really slim girl, what have you, what have you. So that acceptance of self, And that's why I talk so much around radical self-honesty and so much around self-awareness, because once you become the person that you are in your own skin and you're happy with that, okay, so I may not have as much friends as that person, or I may not, you know, be popular, or I may not be all these things that society tells us that we should be, but I'm cool. I'm good with who I am. And I like this, you know, on my lunch break, I want to listen to my podcast. So I want to read a book. I don't want to go for a drink with people after work person. Yeah. I want to go to a family wedding even you know yeah. there's some certain things we do through obligation and I like the fact that I can say no unapologetically I feel like my boundaries are high and my power is fully intact so I think that self-acceptance of who Nicole is like who are you and that's why on my website on that page it says I am Nicole yeah and that was very powerful for me to put that on that page as well because I know who I am and where I'm coming from beautiful that is so poetically beautiful and powerful. I love it. Thank Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you for being Nicole. Yes, thank you. The world needs you. The world needs you. (laughs) Oh, bless you. Thank you. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? God, I've got quite a few people. But I think the other day I was going through, I went through, so basically I finally got, went into therapy for what happened to me. So disclaimer around the sexual assault. So it happened 17 years ago, mind you. But I went into therapy. So it was my sixth session. 
And it was the first time in 17 years that I went into detail about what happened. So I was really broken afterwards, if I'm honest, Brad. I was, I was yeah. a nervous wreck. And my husband's not here at the moment. So I rang him and I literally cried all the way home. And he stayed with me. And I remember the therapist saying at the end of the session, because I felt really left alone. I felt so unsafe. She was just like, okay, the session's up. If you go wow. home and call the crystal, or maybe, you know, think about, you know, someone who keeps you safe or a place that you felt safe. So I've known my husband since I was 13. Right. Uh, and we, you know, he was my first boyfriend, everything. Then my mom sent me back to the UK because I went to boarding school in Jamaica. Okay. So when she found out that I had a boyfriend, she was like, oh, hell no, and brought me back here. So we lost each other for 12 years. Then we found each other and then we got married and we've been together ever since. And when my therapist said, you know, find that person who keeps you safe, I'd have to say my husband he has probably been consistent with just, I can close my eyes and lean back in here, catch me. That's how I feel about him. So I think he has probably had the biggest influence because he has always just been there to listen. And this is why I say around coaching, how often do we have a place where we can just talk and someone listens and challenge and champions? And I feel like he has done that consistently in our time. And even when we wasn't together and I was looking for him, I remembered so much of his teachings, even though we're the same age, more or less. And he yeah. then became a teacher. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and so when you asked me that question, that's the first, so this interview, this, this kind of podcast for me, I'm literally going with the energy and what comes to me first, because that's obviously the energy that's now. And it's my husband, Maverick, that's come to me. And, and when I think about that session, that therapy session, which was absolutely traumatic, again he was my safety net so i would say him and even now i will ring him and say mav what do you think of this or what yeah. the courage to, you know he is he's that guy love it nicole what does the word empowerment mean to you when you just said that i i had an image like me on like when i'm on the stage and i feel elevated i feel protected i feel like my ancestors are just rolling with me and my spirit guides. <laughs> there's a part of me that's really, really like sexual, as you know. There's a yeah. part of me where my masculine energy can come into that corporate world type thing because that still exists. We're trying to balance the yin and the yang there. But there's a part of me that's extremely grounded and spiritual in terms of the universe type spiritual. So when you said empowerment, to me, that means comfortable in your skin. You know, for me, it's spreading those seeds. It's like throwing those seeds and they just grow. It's a matter of having almost like a light around me. And I feel like I'm here to deliver a message and we're going to share some good stuff. That's kind of what I saw when you said that. I love it. I don't know if that was the right answer, but that's why. No, I that's, <laughs> there is no right or wrong answer. It's whatever it means to you. It's individual. So thank you for sharing that. What's one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you started your entrepreneurial journey? Oh, shit, man. There's a lot, you know. <laughs> Save your taxes. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to be practical... People, save your taxes. Get that yeah. reserve account. Save your taxes. Yeah. But uh, I think, and this is something I'm working on, so I haven't like accomplished this yet, but don't give a fuck what people think. That's a very, very important, because we do, we get caught up yep. in that and we let that control us. Yep. Do you know something where I have a saying that I always say whenever I remember it. So it basically says, be who you are and say how you feel. Because the people who mind don't matter and the people who matter don't mind. Yes. And if you look at that, think of those people who are your ride or die, those people that you trust, whether you see them every day or not. I've got a friend who has a son who's 20. She is my best friend and I've never met her child. She's my ride or die. And we haven't seen each other. But whenever we pick up that phone, Brad, you would never know that we haven't seen each other for a decade. We still do that. So for me, it's around... Those people who care and love and know you, be you. They accept you for who you are. And the people who mind and bitch and project, think about it. They are genuinely the ones who do not matter. And we carve ourselves and, fall and allow ourselves to be dragged down by what other people think way too much. And most people are just curious and don't care anyway. You've only probably got a few people that are genuinely in your corner. And that's fine. It could just be one person. And that that's one person all, that's all you need. That's all yep. you need is that yeah. one cheerleader. 100%. 100%. So that's what I yeah. would say is that I think I care. And even now, like I said, it's a massive battle. I am very fearful of visibility. 
even in my business, but I know being a coach, to a, I want to attract my tribe. I want people to work with me who are ready to work with me and yeah. with my style and who I am. And it's absolutely fine. Some people will listen to this and I'm just not for you. And that's, yeah. that's fine. That's, that's okay. That's, that's good. Because at least now you know what's not for you. So you're that's closer right. to knowing what is for you. <laughs> exactly. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer, okay? Okay. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Being genuine. What is your favorite self-care practice? Disney Plus. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? <laughs> I won't even say what first came to my mind. Sorry, I'm in a very perverted mood at the no, moment. No, that's okay. <laughs> I was going to no, say slippery when wet. <laughs> All right, there we so go. wrong on so many levels, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all good. That's what came sorry. to mind. We're going to go with the flow and roll with it. I love it. I love the radical honesty. <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Listen, just bloody listen. <laughs> <laughs> what is one of your favorite quotes? It's one from my husband. Only a fool criticizes unfinished work. Mm, I like that. What never fails to make you laugh? My grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Yeah. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Go for it. That's an important one. So often we get held back by that yeah. tiny little four letter word of fear and it yeah. stops us from living our lives. And it it's, is, it's it sad. Is. Yes. Yeah. Go it's for sad. it. sad. Yeah. Because when you think about it, if you look at Henry Ford, who created cars, right? Yeah. Look at the first car to the cars now. There had to be failure for there yeah. to be success. Has Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. Has to be. Very wise, Nicole. Thank you. <laughs> when is a time you stood up for something, even though you knew it would be unpopular to stand up for it? Oh, God. All the time. <laughs> all the time I'm, just I'm one in particular ranting. stand out mm, one that's just just come to mind straight away was around child q really in the uk which was the young black girl that was strip searched by the police without her parents present yeah and it was just it just really it just it hit me i mean i was so it was similar to george floyd funny enough even though she didn't die or anything like that but it was just the constant bullshit that happens with our race and i just literally had a rant on social media about it and I was like, so where's all the allies now? All everyone's talking about their allies and they're doing this. What are you doing? I was really, really angry about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? Surprising? That I'm doing what you said just now when I said just do it. I'm doing yeah. that. Even though it's uncomfortable sometimes, I'm really scared. Yeah. I'm just saying, right, I just need to do it. Because, again, I'm telling others to. And I don't want to be that person. So Practice yeah. so what think, you preach. Right. So I think that's really surprised me. Like, as I said, I never thought I'd be a public speaker. I never thought yeah. I'd write a book. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing, I never thought I'd be in front of a camera and have a photographer, you know. So yeah. I'm facing those fears, basically, that well, have surprised me. Good for you for doing it. I think it, it, as we all know, it takes a lot of strength and courage to do those things and to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. So kudos to you, Nicole, for doing it and embracing it. Thank you. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, man. I always said Myra Angelou. I always okay. said that. But I think, yeah, but I think I'm really interested in Alabama, you know? Yeah. You know? Okay. Mm. All right. Yeah. And the reason why is because where her husband got to in life. Yeah, and also she's very inspirational as well. I just want to—I mean, obviously she's got an autobiography, but I would just, yeah, there's something. I probably want to talk to both of them to be fair, but yeah, but if it's one woman, that's the first person that came. Maya Angelou was first, but then I think Michelle Obama now. If you could go back, Nicole, and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Probably similar to what I've just said. Don't worry about what people say. You are perfectly imperfect, and you are more than capable. Lastly, Nicole, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I would say, I would basically summarize our podcast. I would say, be honest with yourself. Only you know you better than you. Trust your instincts, but be honest. Try and 
be better in everything that you do and it shouldn't have to happen to you to matter to you. Beautiful. Nicole, thank you so very much for taking the time to be here with me today. It has been an absolutely beautifully flowing, funny, inspirational, amazing conversation. You are a bright, beautiful light shining out into the world. And thank you for doing all the beautiful work that you do. You're an amazing human being, woman, and soul. And I'm so grateful to have you as a member of the Empowerography community and be connected to you and be able to call you a friend. I appreciate you. Thank you. you. And I appreciate you too. Thank you for all that you're doing. And, you know, you really blew me away with the work that you're doing because it's it's just, again, it goes to masculine, feminine energy and what you shouldn't do. We talk too much about either or and not the and. So yeah. what you're doing is phenomenal. And this can't happen without people like yourself. So, so beautiful soul, back to you, right back at you with squeezes, hugs and kisses. Thank you so much. I received that, Nicole. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Nicole McGill-Higgins. She is an accredited leadership coach, a consultant, an international best-selling author, a global keynote speaker, an award-winning mentor and race campaigner, and also the founder of Belonging. Thank you so much, Nicole. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening when you do. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.